0: In all his decades of publishing history, one event has affected Superman more than any other. Worlds lived, worlds died, and that was only the beginning. Superman was never the same. Presenting Superman in Crisis. Episode 16, You're Fired. Dateline, May 16th, 1985. Hello and welcome back to Superman in Crisis, a podcast by John Wilson. That's me chronicling the twilight adventures of the Man of Steel in his pre-crisis incarnation. We're covering uh, all of the issues of crisis on infinite Earths and the Superman adventures that were published during that era, leading all the way up to the end of that version of the character's history and today we are talking about the superman comic book that was published on may 16th 1985 which was superman 410 and also one other appearance by superman that week over in red tornado issue number two superman 410 has a cover brought to us by klaus jansen that has clark kent um doffing his, I'm sorry, donning his hat and his coat over his blue suit, walking through uh, windblown newspapers where it says Clark Kent fired, and behind him is a large TV screen depicting Superman saying, I categorically deny the story Clark Kent wrote about me in the Daily Planet. It is nothing but a pack of lies. So, um, yeah, this is... At face value, the kind of story that might have gotten told in the Silver Age as a one-off... And then might have been, you know, forgotten about by the end of the story. Now, you know, you you finish it, it, the story's over, it's never talked about again in later issues. And I do believe that Clark Kent has either quit or been fired from the planet on at least one or two other occasions and pursued some other line of work. However, this is one of those instances where they take what might have been a gimmick, one off story idea, and they are apparently going farther with it. We'll have to see exactly how. Far here in a little bit. So as we open the issue, we get a story entitled "Clark Kent Fired." Writer Carrie Bates, Penciler Kurt Swan, Inker Al Williamson, and we open with a. a fiery meteor plummeting toward Earth, and as it does so, it collides with a NASA surveillance satellite. Normally, it would take several moments for various NASA tracking stations, Earthside, to confirm the satellite's demise. But we are seeing this through the eyes of Superman, who happens to be nearby, and he sees that it's falling, and he's going to capture it. He uses his X-ray vision to realize that the uh, damage. It's sustained as it makes it beyond repair. Uh, He knows the model. It's a GX 77 series. It became obsolete last month, so he's not too worried about its importance. He just knows he needs to clean it up and make sure it doesn't injure anybody whenever it hits the earth. Obviously, friction with the Earth's atmosphere might be enough to wear down a meteor as it falls, but it will not be enough to wear down the metal of this satellite. And so but it does break apart as it falls. One half of the satellite falls down into the ocean, and so he actually pushes it way, way far down into the ocean uh, until it's underneath the substrata uh, the underground strata beneath the ocean depths. He waves to the people on a yacht as he flies by. And then he goes to get the second half of the satellite, which is heading toward Honolulu, Hawaii. Side note, that's where my mom was born. She was born in Honolulu, Hawaii, and she was born there before it became a state. Her father was military, and see so she was out there because he was based out there. And, uh, Yeah. So he sees Mount Mauna Loa in the distance. He gives him, that gives him an idea. He grabs a piece of the satellite, waves to people in Honolulu and on the beaches. Kicks the satellite into the volcano, and he figures that the molten lava and gases seething inside will incinerate the satellite. Disposing of it was very important, because this is one of the few satellites that still had nuclear uh, materials inside it, and he didn't want those to go anywhere dangerous. So... He's all done. Next stop, the daily planet. He flies over to his favorite storeroom, turns into Clark Kent, and he pounds out the story. Now he makes a little um, comment that dates this story. Technology wise. He says, I've got a scoop to pound out. I do mean pound. My word processor is on the blink. So I have to use this old manual typewriter. So if you're unaware There was this weird intermediate period in the mid 80s before personal computers had really become a thing. But the electronics were there to handle word processing as a dedicated device. So imagine an electrical typewriter, but instead of typing directly onto the paper, As you type your words are coming up on a small screen the ones that I've used have like a small bar screen kind of like a calculator screen but you know like those dimensions but a lot larger so you can use several lines of text there are some that have had like you know real you know rather large screens like small monitors others very small screens the screen size doesn't matter but the idea is that as you're typing it's storing your text and you can format it and do things to it rearrange the lines make edits all that sort of thing and then finally when you're done you press a button and everything you've typed out gets auto typed onto the um paper through the same mechanism the typewriter would use with the kings banging the keys swinging up banging a ribbon and everything else so it's it's like a typewriter with an electronic interface between the keyboard and the keys themselves clark turns in the uh News article to Perry White. He says he got it from Superman. Perry White's great. That means we don't need to vet it because we can trust Superman. And he runs um, since, you know, Hawaii was saved from a satellite disaster that might have destroyed a large portion of the population. He decides to rerun page one with the story. He calls down to the copy room, has them redo page one just in time for the printouts. All the papers roll. They go out. But late that afternoon, before the papers go out the next morning, Morgan Edge gets a call. Turns out, whenever this story went out over the newswire, uh, people in Honolulu and people at NASA didn't know what they were talking about. Everything about the event Nothing can be corroborated by people directly related to it. The people he waved to on the yacht, the people he waved to in Honolulu, NASA themselves, no one can verify that this satellite fell out of the sky, which means that Morgan Edge is angry. The Daily Planet is in trouble, and very most specifically, Clark Kent himself is in trouble. Lois Lane and Jimmy kind of catch that there's a problem in the air as Morgan Edge is storming along, so they go find out from Perry White what's going on, and he fills them in. There is a Daily Planet issue going out all over the newsstands that has a big, bald-faced lie on the front page. It didn't happen. Now, Superman has overheard all of this, and so he's out in space. And sure enough, the satellite is floating in space, just like it always had been. No indication that it was damaged. And Superman starts going through the different possibilities. Is this a duplicate? No, it can't be a duplicate. There's no uh, instance of his fingerprints on it. The microscopic vision shows no trace of any changes or modifications either. And also the the fact that it was a duplicate wouldn't account for everyone who saw him save it, not being able to corroborate that. So it looks like he's only facing one possible scenario. It actually never happened, which means something is messing with his head. Something or someone made him hallucinate averting this disaster, saving this problem, and he uh, he doesn't know what it is. So Superman is faced with two choices. Does he fess up to his mistake, or does he explain away his mistake? Now, Superman has been in publication at this point for nearly 50 years. We've just passed the 47-year mark with the end of April 1985. That was 47 years for Superman. There have definitely been several stories where Superman was mind controlled or turned evil or any number of things. Superman going bad is something that happens. In fact, we're going to talk about an instance in the very next uh, story we talk about, but that's for about 10, 20 minutes from now. Um, so rather than, however, rather than fess up that somehow he messed up, he decides to throw Clark Kent under the bus. As Superman, he goes to Morgan Edge's penthouse office in the rain and the lightning and interrupts his phone call with his shareholders to tell him that he has no idea what Clark Kent is talking about. He doesn't know where the satellite story came from. He can't corroborate any of it. Which means... All of the weight and onus for this situation is on the shoulders of one newspaper, Clark Kent. Newspaper man, Clark Kent. So that evening on the news, Lana Lang has the odious task of retracting the Daily Planet story from that day. And she does not have her co-anchor present, Clark Kent, says he is not available for comment for the time being. However, Morgan Edge has promised more details will be forthcoming tomorrow. More news after these messages. So Lois and Lana and Justin are all sitting, standing in the Daily Planet watching the broadcast. Clark Kent goes up to see Morgan Edge. He and Morgan and Perry White have the conversation that we don't actually get to see very much of, but it leads to Clark Kent being fired. He has lost his job both as a reporter for the Daily Planet and as a news co-anchor for WGBS. He is unemployed and Lois and Jimmy commiserate with him and, you know, sympathize and empathize and angerify with him at all the, the unjustness of bosses and how could they possibly do this to him after all of his years of service as they help him pack his things into several boxes to take with him as he leaves. Um, and that's it. Lois is kind of surprised that Clark is taking this so well. I just know there must be more to this horrendous business than you're telling. You and Superman, you're working on some sort of secret case together. You're getting fired as just part of the plan, isn't that it? This has also been a thing that happens in the past. I know you. You wouldn't have thrown away your career as a journalist, not without a compelling reason. You just won't say what it is. And Clark, of course, won't confess anything. He leans over, kisses Lois on the cheek as she loses a tear, shakes hands with Jimmy. You've always been a good friend, Jimmy. Even though I won't be around anymore, I'll just be a phone call away if you... I'd better be going. And as he uh, carries his two boxes down the hallway, Lana Lang accompanies him. Want me to help you with your belongings? I can manage, Lana. Just press the elevator button, would you? I can feel everyone's eyes staring at me, whispering behind my back. Just ignore them. They don't know any better. All I know is I'll be glad when I'm out of here. I I don't belong here anymore. And that final panel on the page where he says I don't belong here, the, the elevator doors are closing over his face. So you have this narrow stripe of Clark Kent face and tie as the doors are closing in front of him, which definitely gives all of this a very strong sense of finality. Lois goes in to try to give Perry White a piece of her mind, but Perry says, you know what? Clark frogged up, and Morgan Edge fired him. And if you want to complain, you know where to find Morgan Edge. Down at the taxi cab, Lana invites Clark to dinner, but he says, I need to be alone for a few days. I need time to adjust. Can you understand that? Yes, I suppose I can. Call me then, soon. She leans in the window, gives him a long kiss and then watches as he drives away. Few people know Clark as well as I do. Although some people assume he's frail and delicate, I happen to know he has a strength of character most men would envy. Still, I'm really worried about him. I know how devastated I would feel if I were in his shoes right now. And as Clark arrives at his his apartment building, 344 Clinton Street, there's a huge mess of reporters waiting for him. He carries his boxes in, gives them a no comment, and goes up to his place. And, uh... Then he whooshes out the window as Superman. The newspapers actually comment on the sound of the whoosh, that it sounds like one time Superman came to save the day. But of course they look up in the sky and they do not see any big red S. Superman flies to his Fortress of Solitude and gives himself an examination with the big computers in the Fortress. And the results are as he feared. Analyses inconclusive. No measurable traces of any kind found upon your physiology that could have contributed to an induced hallucination. Further data required. Please advise. And so Superman realizes that whoever is responsible for his predicament is a master at covering his tracks. Even the tracks he might have left on me. Someone devious and diabolic to the extreme. Someone like Lex Luthor. And on that note, we transition... To a, a small island out in the sea where Superman is down inside his base with his henchmen. He has a pair of twins, conjoined twins, working on a computer. And he sees images of Superman doing all of the things. So you see, boys, as these computer simulated slides so aptly illustrate, the entire episode with the plummeting satellite was a fictitious scenario created by yours truly and planted in Superman's mind. I made a calculated guess he would then feed the incident to one of his close reporter friends, either Lois Lane or Clark Kent. As we know now, it's your poor Kent, who ended up taking the sucker bait. And, um, yeah, of course, Luthor doesn't know that Superman and Clark are the same one. So Luthor is thinking that what Superman has done to Clark Kent putting everything on his shoulders. He doesn't quite understand the morality of that choice, but he knows that it must be tearing him apart inside for what he has done to poor Kent. A young woman watching the announcement of Clark Kent's termination on the news agrees. And Clark Kent was my favorite newscaster, too. You're right, Lexi. Superman should feel like a heel. His discomfort has barely begun, my dear. Wait till Phase 2 gets underway. I'm positively tingling with anticipation. Uh, We end with Lois and Lana trying to get to Clark. They knock on his apartment door, 3D. There is no response. And they go out to the uh, sidewalk where Metropolis Eagle is currently selling the headlines, GBS cans Clark Kent. And our last scene is Superman standing in front of his statues of his Earth parents, Jonathan and Martha Kent. He is silently apologizing for dragging the Kent name through the mud, for ruining the reputation of the son that they raised. But it was either that or destroy the public's trust in Superman. I wouldn't blame you for being furious with me, for disgracing the Kent family name. I wish I could promise you everything's going to turn out all right, that everything will go back to the way it was. But I can't. The secret identity you gave me has always been the most precious commodity I've ever had. And now... Now I may have damaged it beyond all repair. I just hope you can forgive me. Next issue: Clark Kent out of luck, out of a job, out in the cold, out June thirteenth. So let's get down to cases on this because I thoroughly enjoyed this issue. Uh, whenever you have stuff that gets thrown, you know, into high stakes, but believable emotional high stakes—not just oh the planet's going to be destroyed, but like lives of people we care about have now been uh, apparently irrevocably altered. That's a big deal. That's a huge thing. And so how long is this going to last? We leave this issue knowing that Lex Luthor caused it all. But even if Superman is able to figure out what happened with Luthor, is he going to be able to convince um, Perry White and Morgan Edge and therefore get Clark his job back? We're in this this weird period where... Everyone in the editorial and creative offices at DC knows that crisis is happening. Conversations about the future of the series must be having had at some level. Does Carrie Bates, as he writes this, does he know that there are only 13 more months of continuity left to the character? Or is he writing this with a plan to make everything better, uh, two, three, four months down the road and continue on like nothing happened? I don't know. But the idea that they might, that they might do some really major changes, realizing that things are ramping up toward the end intrigues me and entices me. And I'm very excited to see what happens next. Uh, Lex Luthor is here. He was not wearing his um, his armor. In fact, except for his lack of hair, just the way he was written, he had very much a Gene Hackman Lex Luthor feel to him in the way he was talking to his henchmen. So uh, that was pretty cool. It definitely fits in with the era that these comics were coming out. Uh, we've had three Superman films. Uh, Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, will be uh, coming out in 1987, so it'll be after the termination of this podcast. But uh, but yeah, Lex Luthor on screen. Gene Hackman's presentation is very well known to the readers and writers of the day, and the fact that his scripting is emulating that just a bit definitely works for me very, very well. I am not one of those people that holds the original Superman films as like the holy grails of all Superman Um, I do appreciate them, especially for their era. And that's exactly where we are. We're in their era. But that does bring us to our brief discussion of Red Tornado issue two uh, with a cover from Carmine Infantino and Frank McLaughlin that shows Red Tornado in a bunch of pieces on the ground with a spotlight on the uh, on the area where he is, and darkness all around. Shattered is what it says on the cover. The story is also entitled Shattered. Kurt Busiek is the writer. Carmen Infantino is the penciler. Frank McLaughlin is the inker. And basically, Red Tornado is still very upset from being rejected by his friends, the people he's helped, and the Justice League of America. We see Superman saving a, a an airplane for a pilot. And while the guy is uh, thanking him, suddenly the construct, who is the mind-controlling nemesis of the story, grabs hold of Superman's mind again. Superman rudely leaves the guy behind, taking with him the door from his hangar, in his hands, and flying off. Not sure exactly what he does with it, but he does also grab a um, like a, a smoke device of some sort to do skywriting. And he writes in the sky, Red Tornado, meet me at Brooklyn Bridge urgently. Need your assistance on important case. And he signs it with the Superman symbol. Now Red Tornado sees this. He needs my assistance. He needs me. And after being down in the dumps so much, he's suddenly filled with hope. He speeds toward the East River. He meets Superman on top of the, uh, the, the support uh, beam uh, poles, pillars of the bridge. And uh, Superman's like, hiya, Tornado. And I'm just going to read this conversation because it's so... uh, It it just really gets you. Superman, hiya, Tornado. Greetings, Superman. Of what assistance can I be? Remember last night when a bunch of your old JLA buddies told you to stop being a superhero? Yes, but I know you didn't really mean it. Oh, but we did. And we don't appreciate your ignoring our advice. And he reaches out and grabs Red Tornado's arm wrenching it off of the socket that that was my arm it sure was want to see the other one and he proceeds to dismantle red tornado not 10 hours ago we told you you were retired but here you are still in costume still doing your mixmaster master act is it any wonder we're annoyed And it's just so heartbreaking because Red Tornado was so excited that maybe everything going bad in his life was a sham. Maybe it wasn't really as bad as it seemed. He's so happy to see Superman. And then Superman's like, no, we do hate you. It's all real. It's all bad. Now, next time your friends have a little career suggestion for you, next time, maybe you'll listen. And he takes the last part of Red Tornado that remains, his head, Chucks it over his shoulder to join all the other pieces at the bottom of the river and flies off next time. (laughs) Right. And yeah, Superman's role in this story is to tear Red Tornado pieces. Uh, Red Tornado, though, is able to pull himself back together. He has reassembly powers um, and basically... There's several other things that happen in the course of the story. He saves some people, but then the construct twists their minds and has them uh, go up against Red Tornado. He goes to see Tria, his daughter, but she says all sorts of nasty things to him about how he's dangerous for her. And uh, he's not even a very good computer because her friend has a speaking spell, which is much smarter than Red Tornado. And Red Tornado just kind of loses his shit at the end. He's like, you know what? Humans are terrible and I don't want to help them anymore, so I'm not going to. And he turns into tornado mode, scares all the children away, Uh, his girlfriend shows up and is trying to reach out to him, scares her away, and he is now out of the way of the construct, who then appears on every screen across the land. The rise of the machine age is at hand. Um, Along the way, the red tornadoes... creator T.O. Morrow figures out that this is probably the Construct involved but he's not sure what to do about it because the Construct can control minds of anyone he wants to and so if he makes his knowledge known Construct could just take him over so that's the end of Red Tornado 2 Superman's role in the story was to be a complete evil jerk he does that really well we were just talking about like I said earlier we were just talking about Superman getting taken over Having his mind controlled by other people. How this is a thing that happens. Now, this is by a force that can take over anybody, but sometimes it's just Superman who gets targeted. And I feel like I feel like if Superman had owned up to that, rather than putting everything on Clark Kent, it would have been a better choice. Morally, ethically, any number of ways. But that is as it is. And that does bring us to the end of our episode. There will not be an episode next week. May 23rd, 1985 did not see the release of any comics involving supers, but be back in two weeks. Because on May 30th, we're going to have episode 17, where we're going to talk about Action Comics 570 and World's Finest Comics 318. So do be here for that. And as always, thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of Comics.com home of virtually all of the podcasts produced by me, John Wilson. Each show has its own feed on your favorite podcatcher, or the whole group can be followed under the name John Reads Comics. Remember, there is no H in John. Feedback for all shows can be sent to johnreadscomics at gmail.com and I will plan to read it on a future episode unless you ask me not to. Follow me on Twitter at johnreadscomics and thank you always for listening to podcasts from johnreadscomics.com.